Hello and welcome to FML Fund My Life, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. My name is Nicole and I'm the social media manager here at My Wall Street. And with me today is our top investment analyst, Anne Marie. Just gave you that title, by the way. Sorry, Rory, if you're listening. Rory definitely is not listening, so it's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> welcome to this episode. This the main topic is gonna be all about Victoria Woodhull. Am I pronouncing that right, Anne Marie? Yeah, I think so. And you might be sat there wondering, who in the world is that? Well, she was known for a lot of things, but as female investors, the thing we're most interested in was that she was the first woman ever to own a brokerage firm on Wall Street, which was very impressive. She was also the leader of the women's suffrage movement and was also allegedly the first woman to start a weekly newspaper. Victoria was also famous for her activism for women's rights and labor reform. Now, Amory, you know heaps about this woman because I think it was like one and a half years ago we ran a women investing campaign for Women's History Month, and you did a lot of research um, about her. You were going to like create this long video, so that's where we got the idea for this episode. So stay tuned to find out all about this very interesting woman. And before that, I want to tell you all a very sad story. So I'm not even going to ask you how your week was at the stock market, Amory. I'm not going to ask yeah. you how your no. week in general was because yeah I have a very sad story to tell well it's not that sad but my phone was stolen on Friday night when I was in Lisbon and I'm still very sad about it yeah where were you when it happened I was on Pink Street which is like just a going out area and yeah it got stolen there the funny thing is like using find my iPhone the next morning I went on thankfully I had an old iPhone in my house and went onto that, went onto my iCloud and saw that my phone was like in this like neighborhood. So I got my housemate up and we got um, an Uber to the location. And it was like this, this kind of sketchy neighborhood, like near the, yeah. near the airport in Lisbon. Um, and we just like, I don't know what we thought our plan was. Like the taxi driver or the Uber driver helped us like find where the number was and where the iPhone could be. And then our next mission was to try to get into the apartment blocks. We just literally rang every buzzer. And given it was Saturday morning at like 10 a.m., people were definitely still sleeping. So then yeah. someone buzzed us in finally. But then we were in the apartment block and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Like, I don't know what my <laughs> plan was. And then I, so I just like started knocking on like people's doors. And then I just mm. got given out to by elderly Portuguese people and shouted at in Portuguese and I did not mm. find my phone. And then we had to just go home. Wow. I commend yeah. the effort, though, going all the way to the apartment block to, to try and yeah. find it. But it's on the move now, isn't it? It's you on the it move, earlier. yeah. On my Instagram story, yeah. It's like it was still going around. Like he still has it on, which I'm really like worried about. And like I I filed our police report and everything. But um, even the policeman was like the chances of finding these is very slim. I was like, cool. Great. Yeah. Interesting that they left it on, though, to be tracked, because usually the first thing that happens when people's phones get stolen, they put it on airplane mode so you can't see it. And then they go about, like, trying to send you that fake Apple-looking kind of phishing text to try and get your passcode off you so they can get into mm. the phone and wipe it. Um, mm. will be interesting to see. I remember I, I um, read an article, like, literally two weeks ago about a girl who her phone was stolen. Um, I think she was in California. And she was, she just kind of gave up and was like, oh, whatever, because whoever took it, put it on airplane mode, she was never able to track it, never knew where it was. And then months later, like six months later, she received a text message that was meant to look like Apple. And it was saying, oh, your phone has been found. Can we have your passcode to confirm that this is yours so we can send it back Mm -hmm. to you? And she went to check her find my iPhone and saw that the phone was in China. 
because <gasps> apparently that's like typically what happens is like phones get stolen yeah. out of Western countries, get shipped back to China so they can be wiped. And then if they're like not sufficient to be sold again, they get stripped for parts and components. And so then she had gone online to ask people to be like, oh, like this obviously isn't Apple, but what should I do? Like, what's the next step mm. if I know my, my, my phone is in China? And people were like, you don't give them the passcode because like yeah. Apple encryption is so phenomenal. They'll never be able to get into the phone. So then they'll just end up opening the phone and taking the components that aren't encrypted. So they end up just taking out the battery and stuff like that and selling it, taking the screen and the camera. Um, but they'll never be able to get into the data. So that's apparently what you're supposed to do. So down the line, if you get contacted, <laughs> just leave the phone locked, apparently. Yeah, people told me they were like, be yeah. be on the lookout for those messages. But like, it's just so sad. You don't you realize like how much of your life is on your phone as well. Like, yeah, it's really you like your left hand. Up. I did have a yeah, I did, but I hadn't backed up to the iCloud in like a few months. So like, even all my videos mm. and photos from the festival I went to didn't get backed up. But Damn. we live and learn. Yeah, yeah. be very careful from now on. But yeah. yeah, and it was my first time ever losing a phone. It's very sad. Wow. I'm very proud of the fact that I've never done that, but not anymore. I've, I don't. To be fair, I didn't lose it. Like it was stolen. Um, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. but like I was drinking, so I think I I probably had it in my back pocket or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Seems to be. All right. So enough about my sad stories, tragedy, um, first world problems. Mm. Um, Amory, let's get into the serious business that is the main topic of this show. So tell us all about Victoria Woodhull. Okay. Well, let's kind of go back to her origins maybe before we talk about like why she's so famous, why she's often cited in history books as being the the first female investor. So um, if we go back to 1868, um, that's when Victoria Woodhull and her sister, Tenny Claflin, moved to New York City. This is the beginning. Um, they were Ohio natives who all of their childhood, really, and early adulthood, they, they led this kind of nomadic existence. They lived in a painted wagon. They traveled between frontier towns. And they were kind of performing children. They were child preachers. They were magnetic healers. They often made public appearances claiming to be clairvoyants who spoke to the dead. Um, and she in Victoria claimed in her later years, the reason that her and her sister went to New York is because she was visited by the ancient Greek orator Demosthenes. And he told her that she needed to move to the city to change her luck. And to be fair to Victoria and Tenny, like up to that point, they had pretty horrible luck. The reason they lived this nomadic lifestyle, the reason they were kind of on, always on the run was their father committed insurance fraud in uh, on a frontier town in Ohio. He purposely burnt down, I believe it was their barn, and then tried to claim against the insurance. And the town was sure that this like wasn't correct. And they ran him out of town and they told him he'd never come back. This Would this happen if he was on Lululemon, remember we had this conversation a few weeks ago where we were, I think it was the last episode where it was like, would people, remember they give money to charity so that stops people committing lemonade insurance Lulule fraud. Lululemon is the leggings company. Oh, not Lululemon. Lemonade. Lemonade, Sorry. yeah. Lemonade. I was, like, Sorry, I was like, Lululemon. I was like, do they give money to charity? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. There you yeah. go. He wouldn't have committed insurance fraud. So they were running all around, but she had this vision and, you know, ancient Greek orator comes around and he says, you need to go to New York City to change your luck. And I guess in some ways, like, that's good advice, because if you if you are a clairvoyant and you claim that you can see the future, shouldn't that make you like a great stockbroker? Yeah, literally, yeah. that is what investing is trying to see the companies that will do well in the future. Yeah. You so she might do with a bit of that now. I know she might have had a bit of an edge there. So um, 
kind of the the reason that Victoria and her sister Tanny were able to get away with this idea of, of being clairvoyant, the reason like that made them popular, that made them famous in the period, was because in the 19th century, there was a movement, a uh, popular movement called spiritualism. And in the wake of the Civil War and its mass casualties, Victorian people were really desperate for ways to contact lost loved ones. And Victoria and Tanny took advantage of this. Um, and they went from town to town, claiming to be able to contact um, lost ancestors. So when they went to New York, they ended up befriending Cornelius Vanderbilt, who, for those of you who don't know, Cornelius Vanderbilt is was a railroad magnate in the United States. He, in to modern times, would be worth an estimated $2.3 billion. Wow. And at the time, he was the richest man to ever live on the planet, like phenomenally wealthy. Oh so how did they and- bump into him, like... Uh, they definitely did it on purpose. Like they, mm. they were definitely like loitering outside his house because he was newly widowed, and so okay. they were like, "This man is weak," and so they show up. That's at his like house. us going after Elon Musk. Like, would be very yeah. hard. I see, but like Elon, like Elon Musk is like desperate to have as many children as possible. So like, there definitely isn't in there. Do you know what I mean? What? Yeah. What is that about? Yeah, he thinks like the population is in decline. So he himself is taking it, taking it upon him as an individual to oh, he's very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure God it's love good. him. Like, I'm sure he's yeah. not enjoying it. Yeah. He's really just putting in the work. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they, <laughs> these two sisters, they show up at his house because he's newly widowed and he's desperate to communicate with his deceased wife. And he becomes reliant on them because he wants to speak to his wife all the time. And they form this inseparable bond. And that is great because Cornelius Vanderbilt has the exact same thought that we have where he goes, these girls can tell the future. So they could be really good at investing. So in 1870, he secretly helps establish Woodhall, Claflin and Company, which is the first brokerage firm in the world to be run by women. It's pretty good. Is that some nice seed money from Vanderbilt? He he believed them like he thought Mm -hmm. they definitely could see that, like tell the future. Yeah. And he was kind of known as that. He um, during the period was like all into spiritualism. He was like he he had kind of been known to be taken advantage of because Mm. at that point he was already really wealthy and very famous and like he could Mm. afford he could he could afford to indulge um those type of things and so this as soon as these sisters start this brokerage firm they become this media sensation i i've looked up a bunch of headlines from newspapers of the period and you know they're called Mm -hmm. the bewitching brokers the queens of wall street the she brokers the new york sun reported the sisters arrival by simply stating petticoats among the bovine and ursine animals on the first day their 44 broad street office opened the pair were met by a crowd of curiosity hunters who gazed at the females and beseeched them with questions. But it's important to state that their firm was more than a mere publicity stunt. In its first six weeks, it supposedly made $700,000. And the sister's wow. status as brokers was like firmly cemented. Most importantly, the majority of Victoria and Tenney's client base was actually an entirely untapped investment market, which was women. Makes okay. sense. Yeah. Um, So what other brokers of the period had failed to consider was that the Gilded Age had created a number of economic niches where women could make and save large sums of money. So teachers, small business owners, society, wives and widows, that was a huge portion was all these women were left widowed after the Civil War, but were left money. And then we had all, you know, all these kind of... um, really odd ones you know entertainers female entertainers that can make all this money and so they all had this capital to invest and the stock market at the time was very very popular and up and coming and so victoria and tenny gave these women a place to invest their office building even famously had a private back door which led to a women's only lounge and according to victoria this was the sister's plan all along she would later state we went onto wall street not particularly because i wanted to be a broker but because i wanted to plant the flag of women's rebellion in the center of the continent 
which, you know, was a pretty strong statement in the terms of she had an understanding that economics and, you know, financial independence was a necessary foundation in order to have liberation and freedom and other aspects of your life, which is still, I think, very true today. Yeah, it's still crazy that we still like don't have that. And people still have to preach that and like tell women yeah. that, you know, we need to invest because it is freedom. Yes, it is a, so, it def- definitely a form of freedom. So would you say like she was the first person to kind of have this idea or was she at least the first person to kind of like actionize it by setting up the I mean, brokerage? there definitely were going to be, there was definitely like female entrepreneurs and women who had come from families of wealth who would have been somehow involved in investing. I think mm-hmm. she just often gets dubbed as like, oh, the first female investor, the first female broker, because yeah. she had the business behind it and she herself like didn't come from necessarily a privileged background. But like we could argue that, you know, going to Cornelius Vanderbilt and attaching yourself to the richest man on the planet then does make you privileged, particularly as like that relationship Mm -hmm. continued to develop. Tenny ended up becoming like his mistress and Mm -hmm. the two of them were like inseparable um, until the end of his life. And so, you know, they did have a bit of a, a bit of a leg up on the, on the competition. But then you you would say that like, but they went out and made that connection. It wasn't a family connection. It wasn't something that they already had. So they did kind of like hustle for that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's they they took every opportunity, like but they they kind of made those opportunities as well. Yeah, and it's also I suppose they knew how to effectively function in the society and the context they were existing in. Mm. Like they knew that this man had the power and the privilege in their society, and so they said, right, like how do we get how do we get close to him? Um, yeah, it's uh they're very interesting, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, pair but it's it's worth discussing kind of what they end up doing then with this wealth like if the goal was not they didn't want to be brokers the goal was we they wanted financial freedom they wanted to you know p- plant their flag on wall street um it, it meant that their success granted them considerable wealth and within a year they used their earnings to launch woodhall and claflin's weekly which is a left-leaning newspaper they published articles about women's suffrage spiritualism vegetarianism free love and socialism which are all you, you know they're considered to some people radical concepts today they were extremely radical in the 19th yeah. century um, like vegetarianisms were, like must have been very yeah. like rare like think, how many vegetarians is there back then yeah socialism i think is the one that really caught people off guard because they like even mm. dedicated articles to condemning the nefarious side of wall street they examined fraudulent railroad schemes fire insurance companies which is a bit ironic talking about their dad bond fraud stuff like that and then controversially they were the first publication in the united states to print Karl marx's communist manifesto it's the first time it was ever brought to an american audience um and and what was like free love is that like free love is yeah, it's like literally the 1970s concept of like, you shouldn't have to be married to be with someone. Okay. It was very acknowledging of the fact that like women lose rights within a marital unit. Um, they mm-hmm. often openly okay. discuss the idea that like men were expected to go off and be allowed to have multiple partners and women were expected to stay within the marriage unit, which is yeah. like a very 20th century idea to be openly publishing articles about. Yeah, I think they got loads of backlash like. Yeah, it, exactly. So they were publishing all these articles for a couple months, and it meant that effectively every single one of their advertisers pulled their support. But these women like forged ahead because they wanted to use the newspaper as a platform for their political ambitions. And Victoria even used her influence to become the first woman to address Congress when she argued for women to have the right to vote in 1871, which is very impressive. Um, it did mean that in some ways that Woodhull is a bit different from maybe some of the other suffragettes that are famous in the United States. So we often associate the suffrage movement in the United States with Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. 
But it's important. A lot of historians have actually stipulated that like Elizabeth Woodhull is a feminist. She's not a suffragette because she was pushing for these concepts of free love, which were far more radical than what Susan B. Anthony was fighting for, which was merely the right to vote. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's like a nice distinction to have, particularly because um, apparently Susan B. Anthony like hated Victoria Woodhull, didn't like her at all, <laughs> like thought she was really controversial, disagreed with her ideas yeah. of, you know, economic liberation, sexual liberation. So it's kind of like even in terms of being a revolutionary for her period, she was c- considered very, very radical, very left leaning. Um but kind of undeterred by these failures and being rejected by some of her contemporaries, um, she decided that she wanted to run for president. And so in 1872, she became the first woman to ever run for president of the United States on the equal rights ticket. And she named Frederick Douglass, who's a very famous civil rights leader and abolitionist, as her vice president. There is a caveat to this, of course, which was that she named him as her vice presidential candidate um, without like getting his approval. She just like named him. She had never went and asked him. I don't know if they'd actually ever met. It's just he was so famous uh, during the period. And he was also uh, like highly associated with um, liberal and leftist movements. And so she just picked him. So he maybe maybe he didn't want to be on the ticket. We we don't know. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, it, that's like the equivalent of one of us running for president. And then you're just like, and I will pick Nicki Minaj as my running mate. And you never ask her. <laughs> you're just, you just pick her. You're like, yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. Like, this one was the first of like to do so many things like and like so many massive yeah. things like to set up a yeah. broker uh, to set up an investment brokerage firm in Wall Street to run for presidency like as a woman. And it's all I mean like Basically. it's money. It's yeah. having money to be able to do those things mm-hmm. most definitely. And like just having the understanding of she has like such a clear kind of overarching plan where she was like right I'm going to make money. I'm going to start a newspaper, which obviously in the 19th century, newspapers are the foundation of power, information, dissemination. And then she's like, right, with this newspaper, I will be able to disseminate my political ideas and then also have a platform with which to run for president. Like, it's very smart, like kind of a domino effect. But we have to go back. There's a bit of controversy now. So she's trying to run for president. She's trying to stir the pot. Um, Unsurprisingly, it's a bit controversial. Women can't even vote. Hardly they're going to elect a woman as a president. So in November of 1872, um, Woodhall and Claflin, the weekly newspaper, um, published a salacious accusation that a very famous Protestant minister, the Reverend Henry Ward Beaker, was having an affair. And there's a couple reasons they did this. Number one was they needed to kind of stir up circulation. They were trying to sell more newspapers. You know, they were struggling. They didn't have as much advertisement revenue. And this was a really big story at the time. So they were like, if we publish this, we're going to sell a lot of newspapers. So that was reason one. But there was actually a secondary reason, um, just for a bit of context. Um, Henry Ward Beaker is the brother of um, Harriet Beaker Stowe, who very famously wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is a very important Civil War era book in the United States. But um, anyway, Beaker, he preached against free love. He was a huge adversary. Victoria Woodhull didn't like that idea. He you know, was like, it's not in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Woodhull found out that he was having this affair. And she was like, you are a huge hypocrite. You're having an extramarital affair. And you told me that what I'm doing is scandalous. So she was like, I'm going to throw him under the bus. So she published this article in her newspaper. Everyone got excited. People were buying up newspapers. They were making a bunch of money. But obscenity laws in the 19th century were very different than they are today. And she ends up getting arrested and getting thrown in jail um, for charges that she was spreading pornography. (gasps) But she didn't like, they didn't publish photos or anything. No, 
it was just like writing the story and insinuating. Oh, you're not allowed to even her. say like sexual intercourse or anything like yeah. that. Oh my yeah. god. So it's you know what? I bet they were looking for a reason though to arrest her as well. Most definitely. Yeah. Like she was yeah. so controversial and so infamous and like yeah, definitely. So they chalked her up, yeah, on pornography charges and she was arrested and she spent a year in prison. And so mm-hmm. when she was meant to be running for president and you know, do it having her radical um political movement she couldn't do anything she sat in jail yeah tragedy crazier than the trump story (laughs) yeah so she didn't obviously she didn't end up getting elected president or we'd be having a different conversation here so she's sitting in jail she ends up getting released sad day and then by 1873 another blow their brokerage firm was forced to close in the wake of extreme market panic that happened in the 19th century who was running it when she was in prison her sister no, yeah, probably like probably, but they also had like employees and staff and, and stuff like okay. that. And it was yeah. a lot of their brokerage picks, I know, like were quite obvious things. Like they were investing a lot in railroads and um gold and silver and that type of thing. And they were getting tips from Cornelius and um, but the entire like it was a massive stock market crash. So it wasn't their fault. I think like most brokerages kind of went out of business during this period. And so then there's all these lawsuits and debt collectors come swarming around and it's it's very it's very difficult. And within three years of this happening, Cornelius Vanderbilt died. And that was like, he was their rock. And his mm-hmm. son, William Henry Vanderbilt, he was really worried because Tenny was so associated with, with dad. And they thought that she was maybe going to contest the will and she was going to demand all this money. And so William Henry needed to get rid of them. And so he goes to Victoria and Tenny and he's like, if I give you a lot of money, will you leave the country and never come back? And they say yes. And so Victoria and Tenny just move to England. They take all this money and they leave. And Victoria ends up there and she gives lectures on women's rights. And she publishes a magazine called The Humanitarian from 1892 to 1901. But she never comes back to the United States. And she kind of diminishes in the public sphere. Yeah. That's crazy. Like to go from wanting to like lead the country, run for president, and yeah. then just being like, oh, you know what? I'll go. But then they did have a hard time. Like she was in prison. She the was there She's in prison, but it's no money. That's the thing is like in order for them to live this privileged experience, in order for them to become these great exceptions to what it was to be a woman in the 19th century, they had to have all this money and they had to have this association with Cornelius Vanderbilt. And the second all that's gone, it's like they're just reset. Mm -hmm. They're just normal women again. And they're like, no, you obviously can't run your own business and you don't Mm -hmm. have any money. So like off you go. So they're probably kind of happy enough that the son offered that. Bit of a bailout. Yeah. Bit of a bailout. Yeah. Yeah. So I I guess like Victoria's life and debut on Wall Street is this kind of powerful reminder that often the most important role investing can play in our lives is not as this job or this end goal, but rather a means to an end. So from a young age, Victoria understood that wealth meant freedom and power and the ability to like skirt societal expectations that suppressed her. And that being said, like Victoria is such an exception and not a rule in the financial world. So starting with its conception in 1792, the New York Stock Exchange and others like it prided itself on, on exclusivity. It was only meant to be like rich, powerful white men who could access this this avenue. Yeah. Um, it was 1925 before Una Keogh would become the first woman to join a stock exchange. She actually joined the Irish Stock Exchange. That's a great little Irish fact. Yeah. There you go. Um, Muriel Siebert wouldn't become the first woman to own a seat on the New York Stock Exchange until 1967. Um, and it's important to acknowledge that minorities also faced obstacles when entering the market. It would be 1970 before Joseph Surlis became the first African-American man to hold a seat in the exchange. And a woman of color wouldn't own a seat until K- Gail Panky Albert did in 1981. So like 200, 200 well, 100 years after 
Victoria Woodhall opens her brokerage firm, a woman of color is is able to get a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. Crazy. Yeah. Um, that's to say that for most of the market's existence, it was completely inaccessible to the majority of the population, meaning benefits like compound interest and long-term wealth creation were completely off limits. However, you know, thanks to the market being publicized in 2006 and the advent of commission-free trading, access has significantly improved. Like that's something even within our lifetime that we have seen have huge impacts. I know Emmett talks all the time about like having to buy stocks back in the day in the 90s and having to call a brokerage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the fee to buy one share was $25. Yeah. But even the fact like I know people our age and like I know people who are 27 and they won't make a reservation at a restaurant if they have to ring them. You'll only do it (laughs) if you can do it on an app. So like I bet so many people like won't invest if you have to ring someone because we all have social anxiety. Yeah, but it's also just the inconvenience of it. Like, you'd have to be sitting down. Like, you'd also have to be tracking, like, stocks in the newspaper. You'd be sitting Mm -hmm. down. You'd be like, think of how hard it is to do research. That's another thing that we talk about all the time. There is such an advantage for regular people and individual investors in today's market environment because of the access to information that even just the internet provides. Like, even, like, the ability for My Wall Street to exist as a company and as 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 an app to regular people is only possible because we have the ability to just gain access to all the like investor relations information from each company to run financial models, to create mm-hmm. investment theses, to be able to like get enough information every week to mm-hmm. verify those theses. To be, yeah. To be able it to is, package all of that content affordably in an app like is, yeah, is very it's mo- new. Revolutionary. Even this which, podcast, you know, I think as yeah. I said before, we're the first Irish women focused investment podcast. Yeah. And so it kind of brings it back to the idea of like, it's crazy to say it, but like we have discussed all the time that like a lack of participation in investing by women exacerbates the the, the earning gap into a wealth gap that is really bad. Like mm-hmm. 40% of the wealth gap is substantial. Mm-hmm. And it is a reminder that when we talk about like a like a, the generational impact of a wealth gap, the generational impact of an earnings gap, like those concepts are still ongoing. And so it exacerbates inequality between the races and the sexes and the genders mm-hmm. and like it's 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 just a thing of I think people like tend to have that assumption of like oh we now have full market access so there is equality yeah but it's like no we're still trying to fix the hundreds of years of mm-hmm. people's inability inequality. to participate in this system yeah. yeah and there's still well there's still so many um like places to live in the world where like women wouldn't invest and they won't have access and no. but when but men would yeah and there's yeah. still like so many places in the world where women like don't have access to their own bank account they're not allowed to have a bank account you know what I mean like so uh, yeah, yeah. I, I get really annoyed when people say that it's like well but oh but, you know you have everything now it's like no yeah <laughs> no yeah I think and it is that idea that I think people sometimes think oh we live in a post-feminist in a post like in a post-racial society that's a big thing that was discussed in the United States upon the election of Barack Obama, where everyone was like, oh, it's fixed now. Like everything, we're all good. Like we've achieved it. And I do think milestones like that are really important. Like acknowledging Victoria Woodhall achieving the first brokerage is, is very important and very impressive. And it's something we should remember. But at the same time, like she is just one of millions, billions of women, like who yeah. in many cases have not yet achieved that market access and made that first step into investing. Yeah. So um, she did a very yeah. unique story and a unique advantage and who she yeah. met as well you know what I mean like she's yeah. fortunate enough you know people would say she's fortunate enough to live in America and be able to go to New York like that's a massive yeah. privilege especially at that time 
yeah. to go to one of the most like probably wealthiest cities in the world was it back then De- new york oh, yeah. Been? definitely yeah. probably the wealthiest yeah. city in the world london, yeah uh, london new york i'd say yeah I just run yeah. into cornelius vanderbilt yeah. we're all out there mm-hmm. all out yeah. there trying to just run into run into billionaires <laughs> the richest man in the world yeah of course yeah yeah <laughs> speaking of did you actually see the news recently that um kim kardashian is starting a um private in um she's starting what is it an equity firm what is she starting really? she announced yeah like three days ago she's doing um she's starting it's not like an investment firm i think it's a fund she's starting a hedge fund oh my to, god to invest in up-and-coming media and like female brands oh my god imagine if she invested in fml guys <laughs> please start tagging kim k in our posts <laughs> on tiktok please yeah i don't know if we're quite <laughs> no, she's we're irish quite... as well her mom is irish actually Chris, yeah chris jenner oh. is like um i'm not sure what percentage irish she is but yeah she always talks about being irish how distantly no i think like her, one of her parents is irish really yeah let me google it is... you think we would be talking about that more they would definitely i say she has to be more why than would they so, but like they're no they won't talk about irish dad, no no i mean know. irish people would talk about that more like if if i would say they're they have to i feel like our we don't brag about that it's the other way around um excuse you have you been in the epic irish immigration museum in dublin no i had to be, go there once um to do an exhibit review uh when i was in university and there's the whole last room in that museum is just a collection of photos of famous people who are somewhat associated with ireland and they have a big photo of rihanna on the wall and they're like rihanna is it like some percentage irish and i yeah. was like did you run this by Rihanna before you put her photo up in here? I don't know about Definitely well, I'm not, not sure. I have no idea. But yeah, so Chris Jenner is English, Irish, Dutch, German, and Scottish, which, you know, That's but then funny. Kim K did like a ancestry test and she's mm. not only 47% Armenian, but also 29% Irish. Wow. But just I make, don't know, make... like 4% Spanish as well and 20% British. I guess you Wait. could just, just start tagging her in all the posts and yeah but anyway back to that that's I actually that's kind of cool I knew she would kind of do something a bit different after she um mm. did the baby bar yeah like, I remember she was even like hint to being like will I go to med school now like what am I gonna do next you know yeah I think I she think... does have big ambitions outside of just like yeah. beauty and social media I do think she sees it though as an avenue to make money like I think the oh, end yeah. like you know it's she wants to be a multi-multi billionaire yeah. um yeah. yeah and she's gonna obviously identify Whatever company she feels is going to be the next. Yeah, I love Kim K though. Unicorn. Do you? I love her. Yeah, I really like her. Um, and I, I will, I'll always defend her. I know she's not perfect. Wow. But like, do you not like her? I, I, um, yeah, I have a bit of a like. I like. I'm very appreciative of her. Like, it's very impressive that she has been able to pivot and like. Mm. I don't know, like generate businesses out of her her mass yeah. appeal, which I think in some ways she didn't ask for. And so she's like figuring out a way to take advantage of it. You know, I, I think that meme is funny of, of them being like, oh, Chris Jenner works, the devil works hard, but Chris Jenner works harder. Yeah, they they but, did turn a hard situation into like a billion yeah. dollar company. Empire, um, like. But, you know, she, she obviously was privileged as well. Like her um, her dad was a very successful, like rich Hollywood yeah. lawyer. And um, like she would, they were family friends with them. Um, like the Hiltons, you know, like she, her yeah. first job, I think was not maybe her first job, but one of her first jobs was um, working with like being um, Paris Hilton's like PA or, you know, yeah, 
Yeah, no, I just, I don't like her because I think she, I think, like, her family perpetuates, like, an unrealistic beauty standard to regular people and then lie and pretend, like, that they haven't used. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Like, cosmetic surgery to achieve that. And then it's, like, I don't know, it's very gaslighting to go to people Mm -hmm. and and be, like, we achieve this naturally via our incredible workouts and drinking only fruit. And it's, like, that's yeah. not true and you're lying to people. And that makes – I don't know. I think it's, like, really bad for – Yeah, I, I don't agree with all of that. But then I would also argue that kind of every model and famous person does that. I know. But they're just, just the it's... most famous. You know, they, they're it's just so, so famous and so country. Yeah. No, also, they, I they could have like... made a really good example of – of, of telling people being honest but like yeah, yeah I got my nose I got a nose job I get filler I get Botox every month you know like yeah and I, I do think that they have stolen a lot of their look from like yes. the black yeah. community in the United mm-hmm. States and they have never yeah. like credited them and I also yeah. think we're in a really interesting like style and, and fashion evolution at the minute where mm-hmm. we're moving away from like the 2010s was all about like the tiny waist and the massive ass and I think that's going yeah. out of fashion yeah and you could like the Kardashians are physically transforming yeah, to this yeah. to the, to meet the new standard. And yeah, I'm everyone like, says they're getting their BBLs taken out. Yeah, and I'm like, you yeah. can't do like you have to mm-hmm. tell people you're doing this. Like, it's so mm-hmm. horrible to say, no, no, this is just us. We're naturally doing it. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just yeah, on like I know they're not perfect. Yeah, I think they're like a, they're a product of you know their culture and they made the most out of it. Mm-hmm. But then they had to like yeah, they had to do things to get ahead. But I do love the the prison reform work she's done she's like yeah that is cool and like I know people like oh she only did it for attention but like but like so many celebrities do nothing yeah and you know and they still get attention you know what I mean but like at least Mm -hmm. even if she's doing it for different things like she's she's still doing it yeah yeah and I have heard good things about skims apparently skims is quite good yeah I have heard really good things I but they're so expensive I want to afford like yeah yeah. If, if skims went public I would invest that would be interesting. I'd be interested to see. I would be interested to see their financials. Oh, it's hinted mm. that you know Fenty that Rihanna owns. It's yeah rumored that that's going to IPO. Oh, that would be big. I do. I, think um, that would be I only have one Fenty product. Yeah, I'd be interested. That would yeah. be really like that would be a TikTok trend like Olaplex when they went public. <laughs> yeah, we would. We could do a walk through the S one on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we better get back to the yeah, topics sorry. of this podcast. <laughs> sorry for the little Kim K split, but you know what? I'm sure a lot of people would find that interesting. I think it's interesting, yeah. So who is the girl boss of the week? Yeah, you see, now this one is funny because we're after doing this whole episode on Victoria Woodhall and talking about her yeah. life and hyping her up and calling her this person this you know like people when actually when hillary clinton was running for president a lot of articles got written about victoria woodhall because people wanted to look back and be referential and they said mm-hmm. oh who was the first woman to run for president oh it was victoria woodhall so a lot of um people yeah. writing these like really wonderful celebratory biographies about her which is fair enough um but i fun fact i have two degrees in history and sometimes some, an issue that we can have when people go back, particularly like pop culture goes back and tries to create heroes out of people from the past, is sometimes it means that you deprive them of their historical context, which sometimes means that you leave behind some problematic aspects about them. And that happens a lot with women who existed in the 19th century who were suffragettes. Um, you know, you oftentimes hear like people love to talk about Susan B. Anthony and how important she was for getting the vote for women in the United States. Susan B. Anthony was also famously quite racist. And so, you know, you have to acknowledge the bad with the yeah. good. And so yeah. Victoria Woodhall is of um, 
has some some similar issues. So as she actually got older, she was living in England, as she became a lecturer and went on these um, tours and, and wrote these articles in, in her new English magazine, she actually became quite conservative in her later life. And she walked back a lot of her previous claims. Um, she, like she denounced the free love movement, which people were pretty upset about. Um, mm-hmm. She like kind of became this very about like respectability and society and stuff like that. So that was, um, I think, upsetting. And people tend to forget that about her. Um, she also, which a lot of, again, suffragettes, people who were labeled as feminists in the 19th century, was a eugenicist. Hopefully I'm presenting, but she basically was a fan of like positive eugenics, as it was called during the period. And it was because a lot of women had this belief that the only way that women were going to achieve equality in society, this is, of course, you know, prior to the advent of the birth control pill, felt that only women who were in absolute best societal and financial and economic position should have children. Therefore, it meant that minorities should not have children. Mm. Only rich white people should have children, Um, which, yeah, (laughs) Um, which is something that like isn't alluded to. It's something that she genuinely wrote down in multiple articles. Yeah. Um, And it was, yeah, it was that idea that only like desirable people should have children, Um, which, you know, is a product of her obviously being from the 19th century and having lived in America and, um, you know, she grew up prior to the civil war. Um, but it is, I guess, I suppose it's just us doing our due diligence and acknowledging mm-hmm. that Lake Victoria Woodhull, yes, is this impressive icon, but she also had all of these problematic things, um, that came with her. So yeah, yeah in some yeah, ways, so- the girl boss of the week is also Victoria Woodhull. Mm, that's their interest. And that's like the biggest, shock girl boss of the week like you know the person we've been talking about for the whole episode yeah she's not that good yeah um yeah i think it's important though that we say like we're not like saying like she was the most amazing person we were like it's interesting that she was the first woman to um open an investment firm on wall street and run for presidency yeah and i I, like i I think it's just that kind of splash reality i there's actually when we were doing research for this piece it's rumored that there will be there's a, a movie that is in development about her and i know brie larson is has already signed on to do it there's actually there was a tv show that was in development about her that hbo a couple years ago i don't know if that is still moving forward so it'll be interesting to see how it, it's difficult you know when you want to create these historical figures into something that's recognizable to a modern day audience and maybe something that's inspirational to a modern day audience. Sometimes it means that they are deprived of their nuance and their complexity Mm. and then the reality of the time that they lived in. And so, yeah, I just thought, you know, if we were going to talk about Victoria Woodhall and hyper up, it would be necessary to also say, Hey, like she also did some bad things similar to how we just analyzed Kim Kardashian. (laughs) Yeah. I think, though, it kind of seems like she's also, like, when she lived in America, she wants to be radical and make all these, you know, like, things about, like, um, free love and make all these, like, you know, mm. big declarations. And then when she moved to America, uh, England, sorry, like, she tried to be more conservative because maybe they're more like that over there and she didn't have as much mm. money. So she's like, oh, this is my best chance of survival fitting in here is to be more like this and, you know, be more like, you know, like, English people were known to be a bit more, like, eloquent and, like, conservative so like if it feels like she's a bit like oh well what what's what's the best way to get on here which is very fake and yeah. yeah she also i believe when she was in england remarried i think her husband was kind of conservative i think it was just yeah. she ever she was always adapting you know she yes, was always she's adapting. Quite, she was quite good for that and she also i believe when she was in england like basically said oh yeah i was never clairvoyant i was never a spiritualist that's all nonsense that's all associated with the devil but like she was a spiritualist mm. in the when she yeah. was a child in america because like that's where the money was at the time mm. so she basically said anything to get ahead 
Yeah, which actually is, it's funny that we ended up bringing up Kim Kardashian because it is, you know, it is a thing of like, take your, how can you finesse your circumstance? Yeah, but that, that's the definition of girl boss of the week. Like she girl bossed yeah. her life. She girl, yeah. <laughs> wow. There we go. Wow, there's so many levels to this, guys. Yeah. But um, okay, so that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, tune back in in two weeks time. If you want to follow us on socials, please do. You can find us on Instagram at Fun My Life Podcast, on Twitter at My Wall Street HQ, and on TikTok either on at My Wall Street and on our account dedicated to the podcast at Anne Marie and Nicole FML. And finally, if you're ready to start your investing journey and looking for resources, check out My Wall Street's Getting Started podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or download the My Wall Street app. Both will be linked below. If you want access to our list of stocks handpicked by our analysts and lots of other interesting finance and business content, download the My Wall Street app and create your free account today. That's all from us. We really hope you enjoyed listening. Thanks. Thanks.